Hey lovelies, welcome to episode number 22 of the journey of self-love through self-care. I am super buzzing today because I've got an old, old friend that we connected 15 years ago um, through doing our aerobics teacher training um, many moons ago. And Joe was, we was almost like, I felt like when we, we met, like we really connected then and we, you really sort of took me under your wing and, and like it was almost like you was very nurturing for me as well. Like he was really, really supportive and it was a freaking hard course to do as well because I'd just gone on this course thinking, oh yeah, I do aerobics. I can, I can pass this exam. And it turns out I was really uncoordinated when I was trying to talk and teach and all these things. But what I loved about Joe was you was just like, you was like, you got this and you can get through this. And we were sort of on this journey together. Unfortunately, me and Joe, like we stayed connected kind of on Facebook, which is what actually makes me really appreciate Facebook is you kind of always know that people are there if you do want to connect to them. And it was only recently that, um, like 15 years later, Joe reached out to me and said that you'd been listening to some of my stuff on my podcast and it sort of really helped you. And then Joe opened up to let me know that she had actually been working through her own uh, journey of um, working through alcohol addiction. And over the last, since the last five years, you'd actually been sober now for five years in March which is amazing. So I invited Jo on today just to sort of share her story and go through the trials and errors of, of, of life with all these different things that were coming at her and just to share the journey. So Jo, like, talk to me, tell me, like, it's been a long time since we've communicated, like, what, what was going on at the time? Like, when we was doing the training, like, I was battling an eating disorder unbeknown to you, and you must have been going through your own stuff unbeknown to me, but we still, like, got on so well, but what was going on at the time? What's sort of been happening? And, yeah, what would you like to share? Well, at the time, I was sort of, I think, I must, well, 15 years ago, I was in my 30s, um, I... I really was struggling. I didn't have a boyfriend and I really thought that I needed to go out every single weekend so that if I went out every single weekend, then I would be able to attract a boyfriend and I would feel loved and unbeknown to me, this is what was going on in the background. Um, but with me, I decided, you know, the only way I was going to do that was to go out and get absolutely rip-roaringly drunk every single weekend. And I did. Um but I spent a lot of time having what the next day feeling really awful about myself. Um, I put myself in some pretty dangerous situations when I think about it now. Um, and I, I met my boyfriend. I met a boyfriend. I met an amazing man and I've had two children and I didn't drink through my pregnancies at all. But when the children were small, um, I felt like I still wanted to keep that part of Joe Bird. So I wanted to still drink like that and still be as hilarious as I thought I was when I was drinking. So I did still drink and I drank a lot. Um, and it, but it wasn't fun for me anymore. It wasn't going out and enjoying it with other people. It was starting drinking at four o'clock in the afternoon when I'd pick the kids up from school. Um, it was it was not being able to do anything from four o'clock really because I was drunk, um, hiding it from my husband, buying mini mini bottles because then I could put them in my handbag. Um, it got three bottles of wine a night bad. And I woke up one morning and I looked in the mirror and I looked absolutely awful. 
I was hung over again, obviously. And I realized that I was just in this horrible circle where I was hung over and drunk or, or drunk and hung over. And it was just, it was constant. And I said, right, that's it. And I made a snap decision and I phoned a company called ADAS, which were a drug and alcohol counseling place. And they fitted me in the next day. And I had a year's worth of counseling weekly. And for me, it was every week I could go and say, I haven't had a drink. And it was brilliant. Um, but since it, it was a really hard journey. Um, I was so angry all the time. Um, the first few days I was angry that I'd got myself in this state. I was angry that everybody else could drink, but actually nobody else was drinking three bottles of wine a night. But I was think I didn't think that. I just I was annoyed they could drink. Um, I had I was really bloated because I just kept eating chocolate because I'm missing the sugar from the wine. Um, and I was also had really bad acne, which I think was all of the stuff coming out of my skin. Um, but I and, and it. The first couple of months were just like, am I ever going to be able to do this? And then it took me about into about three months and people started saying, my goodness, what have you done with your skin? Have you changed something on your face? Or, And it was then I started to realise. Um, so that's when I thought, this is good for me, actually. This is what I need to do next. So when, when we met with the musical, was you drinking? Was that like a normal thing, like going out, partying, sort of? So oh, I, yeah. I think you was you a dental nurse when I yes I feel yes. like I always stuck in my mind that was yeah. it I remember there was a couple of dental nurses on the course as well that's what like, there was yeah dramatic like thing to go and do an aerobics like I was working in an office I was working nine to five I was yeah. bored shitless there I was really good at my job but I was really unhappy there and I was sort of looking for something else and my eating disorder was like dominating everything so I was like if I could work in a gym like that would sort of keep me slim and yeah. was, I always remember like when we was on the course he was like yeah I'm a dental nurse and I thought God, that's such a an interesting thing but before you did the course what was things like for you then in your 30s was you sort of was when did you start drinking really I guess I guess I started drinking when I was about 17 I suppose really well I, I moved to London when I was 18 to live in a nurse's home because I did my dental nursing training at Guy's so it was like I was unchaperoned even really so then I really started you know I was drinking a lot it was 50p for a vodka and coke um you know in the bar so I'd be just I was always drinking but I think for me I always found that alcohol was the thing that gave me acceptance I could accept what was going on in my life and but interestingly enough because you've sparked memory in me by saying what you know, dental nursing and aerobics. I wanted to do that so that I had something to do in the evenings rather than drinking because I wanted to teach aerobics a couple of times a week so that I could then have extra money because I was spending all my money on alcohol and I wouldn't be drinking and I never did it. So you did, the, did you do the course and then you just sort of, it just, so you have to, you, you knew that you wanted to sort of make a change, I guess. And that, you know, I, the reason I wanted to work, like teach classes so I could exercise more because I could, that meant I could eat more. So it yeah. was like I was trying to um, out-exercise my eating, but it, it obviously didn't work for me. So what sort of, after you did, we did the training, like I said, we sort of went our separate ways, but what sort of happened 
because you met your partner, but what was between that time? Was you then going back to the drinking in the evenings or? Yeah, I was just drinking in the, I don't remember, know if you remember the last day of the course, which was really intense. I'd woken up in a tent in somebody at somebody's house because I was hammered and I was still drunk when I got there that day. And I remember going to McDonald's, you know, when you're stuffing in like hangover food. And I couldn't concentrate and I was really struggling. And I was thinking, oh my God, I must have stunk of alcohol. Um, but I just, I just couldn't give it up. It was just, it was so socia sociably acceptable. And it, I was working in London. So I was working by this time, I was working in Soho. Um, so that was a massive drinking culture. So I'd meet patients after work and we'd go out to the local bars and I'd go to Soho House. I mean, I mean it was ridiculous, but I, and I put myself into a situations where I lost, I'd left all of the practice figures that I was working, practice I was working for in a pub and it was in Bond Street. So I got back on the tube and got off at Bond Street and you know, Bond Street has got about a million different exits, hasn't it? And I got off the wrong exit and a black cab driver stopped me and said, love, you can't do this. And I was just walking down the street trying to find this pub. I would die if that was my daughter now. You know, she's 10 years old and I'm scared that this is going to, you know, she'd do put herself in that situation. But how stupid. Yeah, but um, you, you know what? I've when so after I'd done the aerobics course, I had my breakdown um, shortly after. So I right. so we'd done our exams and then I had a breakdown like fully in, in April. Um, the following like months later. And when I came back into my body I guess and I'd been in hospital for a few weeks so I was doing some fucked up shit like I was I was drink driving I was taking drugs I was I was fucking reckless and I think now like oh my god like what I could have done or what I could have caused and there is all that sort of shame and that guilt and all that that fear of you know people finding out what I would behave like but it's just it, um, it was just part of our journey and it's having that forgiveness for yourself and being grateful that fucking hell like nothing did happen but I was at that stage probably like you was where I didn't give a shit like, no I, just I, don't care. I didn't give a shit I didn't care if yeah. I if I killed myself in a car accident I didn't care if you know I'd get myself into all sorts of fucked up now I look back now I think oh my god I'm surprised that you are you know still here able to live Fine. I'd get into cabs with men, like not knowing yep. who they were and just put myself in all these vulnerable, vulnerable situations. And I think, gosh, if that was my daughter or, you know, it, I was thinking, I can't even imagine, but we, we, are, we, was had, we was needing help, but we didn't know how to ask for it. And it was almost like, I don't know about you, but I was so independent growing up and so fierce. Right. Like, you know, it's all, you know, it's all me, you know, fuck everyone else and I have to get on with this and, even I'd had my breakdown, I had quite a lot of support, fortunately, from like my godparents, but I still felt really rejected by a lot of my friends couldn't handle the truth when it all came out. Um, people I'd grown up with, they was like, we don't know who you are anymore. And it just, it made, it really enhanced that I don't need anybody and yeah. screw everything else. I but think I'd got to the point where Facebook had just sort of come out as well, really. So then I was seeing, and what was making it, I think, worse for me was seeing all my old school friends that were married and their children were, well, probably same age my children are now, 10 and 12. Um, and I was thinking, oh, God, you know, they've done all of that. And I think that kind of accelerated 
um, the fact that I could still do this. And they must be so jealous of the fact that I'm going out and drinking champagne with Nick Knowles, for example, at some Grosvenor place, uh, the Grosvenor Hotel, spitting champagne out in an arc because he found it funny. And, you know, things like that that I thought, oh, you know, that, that they must be desperate to be doing this. They're not. Nobody was desperate to be doing that. And I think that because I had a breakdown two years ago and my breakdown was um, it was massively attributed to my drinking because you just you send your you give yourself the same narrative over and over again in your head of all you do is replay all the times you were drunk in your head and the, the awful things that you've done and said. And, and I kept giving myself that all the time. Um, and I ended up having a breakdown. What, um, what sort of got you to that point though, where you just thought, right, that's for me, it was just like, I just couldn't handle it anything anymore. I just thought, you know what, I'm so, I just so got to tap out. I don't care. Don't care who I hurt. But if yeah. you, you know, if you've been, for me I was reckless for the first year after my breakdown and then like fortunately lots of good people like it's like everything realigned for me and lots of really people coming that just accepted me for who I was and just showed me showed me love no matter what and that's what made me stronger but if you've been sober now for five years so with the first three years like you felt like you was you was okay with it or is it all just stuff that was just probably coming up to the surface to be dealt with or because what what happens when you're first sober? Because obviously you're going for that transition, but did you process stuff or did something else maybe replace it then so you didn't have to feel those feelings? I think somebody else, something else replaced it really, because I had lots of um the the thing that really started me thinking about wanting to give up drinking was when George Michael died. Now he was only 53 and he had a fatty heart, didn't he, or fatty liver. And that was some drinking, and I was like, oh. You know, that could be. And I was devastated about that. Mm. Um, and I think that I'd, I, you know, that's when I'd started to think about it. But I was the first three years I was working and I was working and I was trying to justify how good I was at my job, maybe because I was sober. But actually, I was really struggling and I worked with the public and the public can be brutal, like really brutal. Um, and I find I treat people the way that I want to be treated myself. So when someone's rude to me, I'd find it very hard not to be rude back. And I ended up having an enormous row with my work colleague. Um, and I ended up getting sacked. Um, and it that was where I had my breakdown just not long after that. I mean, she, she knew that I wasn't particularly very well when she was a gaslighter and actually she's been exposed as being that now. And, but I suppose really I should be grateful to her really because I came out, of, everything happens for a reason. Um, I got sacked. I met, um, and I've just, I know I've got my own little life that I can plan now without everything being a rush. I was getting up at five in the morning to get the kids ready so I could go to work. And actually she did me a huge favour. Uh, one of my closest friends, funnily enough, has never, ever seen me drunk. She's only known me since I've been sober. And we're like the same person. It's absolutely bizarre. Um, and she's been amazing, amazing through it. So, But she's never seen me drunk, but she's still a really good friend of mine. And I found that quite hard to process at the beginning. 
it's I like think with stuff like that though because people that have met me now because I've had such a shift the last two years for example so I feel like we've had quite yeah. a similar journey then so yeah I had my breakdown I went reckless for about uh, a year then I went traveling mm. and put on a load of weight which was my biggest fear and then when I got mm. back I met um, the partner that I ended up marrying. I was with him for six years. We're not together anymore. But no. he really helped me understand. Even though I'd gone through so much, he really helped me look at food in a different way. And yeah. just really, he'd been anorexic growing up. So he was like, you've replaced your, your chocolate addiction and now become a fruit addiction, which was still sugar. But what happened then for me was I became, I've always been a hard worker, but I went into full, I got addicted to working. That was my new addiction it wasn't till lockdown two years ago where everything got shut and I couldn't work the way I used to but I went in and then was like started to wake up to certain things so it sounds like work for us became that new staple to keep us from not dealing with our shit and when when stuff used to happen to me I was like you know what I'll just put some more hours in I'll just work more and that was always my answer I'll work more I'll work more I'll work more and I guess for you like getting fired and like getting to that point where you boil up boil up it's just like right you haven't got that anymore and that's been taken away so it's like who am I without my job without my addiction without you know you know you are a mum and you're you're a partner and all this but who actually am I and how do I want to live my life and it's like I know I'm funny I know I'm entertaining and I'm like you know my friends used to like my friends love it when I'd go out drinking. They'd be like, oh, you're such a fun right. punk and like enforce that. But fortunately, yeah. the partner I was with, like he didn't really drink or anything. So that broke me away from that drugs and that drinking cycle. But when we broke up, I went straight back into that, that drug world and then a new addiction started to form out for it. But I find it fascinating. Like, people that come into my life the last two years, I'm like, you, it's, I find it really strange that they don't know the old me. Yes, and same. Like I'm like, you think I'm a really good person, but I'm not. Like, it's almost like I'm trying to justify, like, you know, you haven't seen the, the fucked up side, but you, you know what? I feel like I have to let go of that story. And I'm sure you do too, because these people have met us now as we're evolving. And yeah, we've still got all this stuff in our closet that we're probably working through. But it's amazing that we can be who we are meant to be without having to hide anything anymore. Absolutely. I mean, I was well known as, oh, come on, a Joe Bird's coming out. We've got, you've got to come out. It's be such a laugh. You know, I've fallen down a flight of stairs and then gone straight back in again and been served, you know, and, and, you know, falling over and God, like really properly drunk, like unbelievably. And, but it was always a laugh, you know, and it was always funny. And I just didn't know when, when it was going to stop, actually. I don't know what would have, I just, I kept on going. And I think when I got pregnant, I gave, obviously I gave up drinking immediately. And that was the break that I needed, I think. Um, and because I was pregnant, I had a... Did you know, like, cause some people obviously struggle with, with pregnant addiction, like, did you just, was it just saying you? It's just like, I'm just not gonna drink or? Yeah, because I had a new obsession. So my new obsession was looking after my bum. And I was special then in a way that I wasn't just funny when I was out drinking, I was special now because I was pregnant. So it was something else that I needed for myself. Um, and I think that's what I found. Then when I had the baby and, and Bertie was a, a really difficult baby, <laughs> um, drinking was then to cope. And then before I knew it, I was right back into it. Like I'd had all that time off drink and I was straight back on it. 
How, when you was pregnant though, did you, did you crave it or did you just accept it was just like, nope, that's it. It was just like, it was just a switch. Yep, just like a switch. It was so bizarre. I was like, and I kept fainting. I was fainting a lot for some reason. And they said to me, you need to eat bananas. And I literally could not even look at a banana. They made me feel sick. Now I'm always eating them. But it was like something had just gone and that was it. And, it, and I how, didn't, long, how long before you got pregnant again? So how long was you back drinking for? So I was back drinking for nine months, fell pregnant again. Um, oh. Yeah, I've only got 18 months between my two. Um, and then Mia was born and um, I was straight back on. I can remember coming out of hospital and making Rob, Rob get wine, making sure there was wine at home so I could have wine as soon as I got in with my newborn baby and my toddler son. It, did, um, how so did you eventually did he figure it out did he find out did you tell him like what was the script I just told him I just I sat it, uh, it was it was really awful he'd got been given a bottle of vodka and it was in the cupboard and we hadn't got much money at the time so I wanted I needed to drink um so that evening I'd, I'd already we've got a bottle of Pepsi and I kept coming into the front room with a bottle of glass of Pepsi well i over two nights, I drank all of it. So I, I filled it up with water, which now makes me absolutely die. <laughs> and I thought, oh, just then he won't notice because he'll never drink it. Um, anyway, the, it was about a week or so later and he was like, oh, do you know what? Why don't we have one of those vodkas? And I just burst into tears and I was just like, I've drunk it. <laughs> and he was like, what? And then when I've drunk it, I've spent, oh, I think I'm an alcoholic. And he was just like are you joking and then I told him and, I, and he said well whatever if you want to give up then I'm there whatever you want do you want me to keep alcohol in the house do you want me to not have alcohol in the house and actually for me I wanted everybody else to carry on normally around me I wanted it just to be me so I let I said to him you have to have alcohol in the house because where what am I going to do otherwise is it always going to be oh we can't have any alcohol in the house do you find, um, that, do you find that tough though or is it no not at all not at all. I don't. Rob, my husband doesn't really drink that very much, so he'll probably have like a couple of cans and then he can stop. And I think I admired that more than anything, because my one thing was I bought a box of wine and it's like and my sister said to me, um, when do you go to bed then? Because, you know, with wine, when you finish the bottle, then you go to bed, don't you? Or with a box of wine, it's four bottles. And me and my sister drank that whole lot one one evening as well as three bottles of Prosecco that day and when this come up like with Rob was this after the get like after the little ones are born or is this like yeah 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 it was after and how, and he, he how, just long, long, hmm? how long was it after the pregnancy it was probably I think Mia was about six months old so what would happen is I would I'd think, right, I'm going to have a good week this week. I'm hardly going to drink. And it would start off where I'd have a glass of wine and then leave the bottle. And I'd be really excited that I'd left, like, some wine in the bottle. But then by the end of... It literally would only take a week and I'd be back on to two bottles of wine a night again. Do you feel... Because when I look back at my eating disorder and, like, growing up with things, like, it was like a coping mechanism because I was very very sad growing up so like my parents like got divorced and I, there was a lot of stuff going on with my brother when we was younger and do you feel like something sort of triggered you to start going into that path or like some something because you said you had a lot of anger as well 
yeah, I had a lot of anger. I think I've got, well, I mean, you know, see, as I mentioned my sister earlier, um, relatively a new thing that we found each other seven years ago um, because my dad, um, my dad, our dad, committed suicide when I was 13. Now, I was already, my mum had already remarried by then, um, but for me, it felt like I'd been abandoned. And I think really deep down, I was, when I was drinking, I was really, I'm just going to say, I was quite promiscuous. Um, I was, and I think that I was always searching for that love. I mean, I've got my father, my dad now, you know, he adopted me and we're close. But I think really for me, it felt like Larry had left me. And mm-hmm. I, that was hard. Um, and in himself, he had um, a lot of drug. He was a drug addict. He was a heroin addict. So then you think, you start to think, is that because it's in, is it in my genes? Um, so, yeah, it's very, I think the abandonment issues were the main reason subconsciously that I drank and I wanted to be with someone. What um what was your relationship with your mum like when you when this happened with your dad? Um, fine. My um mum had left my dad by the time I was eighteen months old. Um, well, he walked out actually. Um, so my mum was um my mum was with my dad now. Um, and actually our relationship's always been quite close. But she's very old. She's not very old, but she's old fashioned thinking. So she wouldn't really she doesn't she didn't really understand it and she probably she now even now she'll say can't you just have a little glass of wine and it it she I don't think she'll ever really understand it but she's always there so yeah and when this happened with your dad like did was she aware that he had like a heroin problem like building up to it or was it no um every my mum had told me that he had found out he'd got cancer and he committed suicide um he had committed suicide but he had actually and it's actually since come to light he he had actually been clean for a year before he did it so he'd actually planned it he was 33 oh wow um so i think we you know we he had been because he was an addict my mum my mum had had to get him to sign a piece of paper to get divorced and to hand me over basically and i think that really that must have that must subconsciously must have really stuck in my mind because I've been handed over and signed for and they'd had to do it on a day when he'd had a doctor's note to say he'd been clean for seven days so that he was conscious of what he was doing but my mum never I've not got any photographs I've got a couple of photographs of him but most of the photographs have got him cut out um but my mum she was quite careful I think in what she said um but since I found out, you know, you can find out an awful lot more, can't you, as you get older. Uh, but she was quite careful. She never really, she wouldn't sit there and just completely slag him off. It's not, that's not what she would do. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it's difficult. Yeah, I guess, because for me, like, cause I felt like my dad didn't abandon us like that, but it was almost like he, he had a cocaine problem when I was younger, like growing up. And it was like the drug took precedence in the house. And it was you know, coming home and my mum would sort of be upset that he wasn't there and stuff like that. And then he's told, and living in that environment. So again, like 
my mum stuck at it for like 15 years with my dad but I said the other day to like the best thing that ever happened was you guys breaking up uh, even though even though it fucked us up you know yeah to a point it was the best thing that ever happened because actually my uncle committed suicide and his parents had like a like my grandparents had a messed up relationship but everything was like pretending that everything was fine and then you don't know what's real and what's not real so in a way like it's is as hard as it is and it does create that abandonment woundiness and I, I'm the same I was I was looking I was soothing with food because I was looking for for love and then same as you like be a bit promiscuous and sort of go yeah. out and about and you know I didn't feel attractive when I was younger and I was one of the boys and the you know because I was one of the boys they didn't want to sort of you know bit like, it was like you're one of the boys oh that girl's well fit over there and oh you're a bit and I was chubby so it was just like never sort of feeling accepted or loved by anyone whereas yeah. when I actually look back at it now and I think you know I actually clashed with my mum a lot growing up and I've got a much oh yeah since since um lockdown me and my mum touch wood like it's like a totally like a totally different relationship and it's amazing it was me that was holding all this anger yes oh my God, I was so angry and I would project all of my anger onto her and sort of scapegoat her a lot. And now I look back, I'm like, how the fuck did you bring me and my brother up and deal with dad and keep the house clean and go to work and do this? And she was like, you just have to get on with it. Yeah, but my mum's exactly the same. But they don't talk, they didn't talk about it back then because they want to protect us, which is, which is, not what we actually needed because we didn't know what was true or not so we start to form patterns around ourselves to cope with not receiving that love or or that comfort because we don't feel safe the thing is is that as well with me is that I can remember feeling because he'd gone off and had another child with somebody else which is my sister Bryony and for me that was like oh so he didn't want me but he wanted Bryony and now since we've got since we've reconnected she actually had the worst of him because I was 18 months old. So I don't remember that, but she can remember the drunken fights. She can remember him standing on her bed, standing next to her with his suitcase saying, I'm leaving now. See, and I didn't, that's for me, that's even worse. And I think that she had the real worst of him. But at the time I thought he'd, she'd got the best of him. It's funny what um, we create in our mind. It's like, well, why? Yeah. You know, why? But now when we look back at it, I think I was thinking, thank God. I said to mum, thank God you did tell him to leave. Because I think if we'd have gone through any more, like it could have been a very different story in the household. Absolutely. I'm exactly the same. And actually my poor mum, I don't know how she would have coped anymore with, with him. He was just, you know, it was difficult for my mum. He was very violent. And, you know, and I think that my mum, she was so strong you know because I was she was only 21 when she had me so she'd left yeah so she'd left him by the time she was 23 she was a single mum so and you you kind of as you get older you kind of think Christ because I wasn't an easy baby I was a pain in the ass Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's what makes us lovable Joe. (laughs) exactly (laughs) we're like big balls of energy because you know same as you like um I've got so much energy, but I had, and all this energy was being trapped. It was almost like I was scapegoating my mum and subconsciously, maybe I was thinking, you know, this hasn't worked because of you. It was like, it was the blame because actually dad was the fun one. Now I look back, yes. he was, he was a fucking liability. I love my dad now. And <laughs> I'm, like, like, I'm very blessed. Like, you know, he sorted a lot of his shit out, but he was like a liability for a lot of things. He was, he was, but they were babies having babies. Yes. My dad was 18 oh. when he had me. 18. 
And my mum said to me, I married the best looking bloke there was in, at the time in Stortford because that was what it was, you know. And I think, and he was well known and actually he is still well known. If you mention his name, he's quite well known. Um, and it kind of, if I'd seen people that knew him and they saw me and I was drunk, they'd go, oh my God, you're Larry's daughter. So of course, then that would just encourage me even more. Yeah, you felt proud almost maybe. And almost, if, if I was rejected by a boy, whether they, I, I'd take that so personally and I'd do, it would be almost like I'd be working to get them, you know, like I really needed to. But then if I did get to get with them, then I'd be bored. Because I was trying to work out my patterns the other day. I'd be like, you know, I'd either get people that would fall at my feet and I'd be yep. like really like great at first. And I'd be like, oh, this is boring. Yep, same. Then I'd, then I'd break their hearts because, and then, yep. I, and then, then they'd obviously walk away. And then I'd be like, what have I done? And then try and pull them back again. And then this whole thing goes on. Back. Or you get the ones I actually I was dating when I was 15, a guy that was actually an alcoholic. When I look back at it now, he was like a year above, like, above me at school. And he would constantly reject me and reject me and reject me. But like, you know, sex, I would do, like, have sex and stuff like that. But and then I had no self-worth. It was almost like I didn't feel worthy of, of walking away from something like that because I didn't feel enough. And I was like, it must be me. Like, there must be something wrong with me. But when I look back now, I think, oh, my goodness, like, what was you doing? And I look to, like, my parents as well now, and I sort of see similarities with what their relationship was. And some like, they'd go backwards and forwards to an extent as well. But eventually my mum was like, enough. Yeah, and, and I was like, you know what? Because I always didn't. I felt like I didn't respect my mum because I was like, oh, she, you know, she. But actually, I was like, I respect you so much because it must have been so hard back then, especially for your mum, even younger. Like, because yeah. back then, like, divorce and separation wasn't really a thing. And no, but I said to her, that must have been really challenging to. Yeah, I think my mum had gone home as well, and she'd gone back to the house, the flat, and he'd sold everything in the flat to pay for what he needed so my mum came home with me and there was nothing there was no cooker no fridge no he'd sold everything absolutely everything mm -hmm. and my mum had just and she's never complained about it she's never really spoken in detail about it and we clashed my mum and I like you were saying god we clashed when I grew up you know really clashed um we argued all the time um I do that with my daughter now actually unbelievably but um <laughs> It's, uh, it's interesting because me and my mum clashed so much and originally I don't know what it was like when your dad you know when your dad first had you like what um because I've been doing like a trauma course and the the guy was explaining the bond that should have been there with your mum and dad because that was broken there was there would have been a bond potentially with you and your dad that should have been being built between you and your mum. So potentially all that love that you was potentially receiving from your dad, it creates without realising that subconscious like jealousy between you and your mum because right. you're not it. So it's like, it's called the, elect the Electra Complex. So it okay. creates in most of us this, this Amazon warrior, like, you know, yes. we become, and then the mum and you sort of bang heads. But it's been fascinating to sort of go through that and to, to realise there's patterns and we yeah. can break them and we can sort of break through them to make the change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you can only do that with a really clear head as well. And you, you know, uh, with a clear head that you have every day you wake up, 
it just makes a huge difference and you can actually sort of sit and think about it. I mean, I think about all the days that I wasted by being hungover, but actually I liked being hungover. Why was, did you like being hungover? I'm curious. I think it was because it was an excuse to lay on the sofa with a blanket and eat rubbish because I was hungover and not have to deal with anybody and not have to talk to anybody and maybe and and I suppose really then you're in that circle aren't you because the alcohol makes me feel great and then the hangover doesn't so then I'll have a drink you know I'll be hungover all day but I'd still have a glass of wine at five o'clock so you know and I'd go back round again but I and sometimes the hangovers would be giggly and silly and I'd find them brilliant you know really good fun but I mean who has finds a hangover fun but if you think about this psychologically like the, the reason that I've done this podcast is like the journey of self-love through self-care. And the one thing that me and you were not doing by the sounds of it, because I'd replaced like a work, like I've got a work addiction now. I was gagging for like doing nothing. And I still couldn't program myself because I wasn't drinking or anything at this point now all these years. So you'd created a way to sort of create self, like, like rest. Like I didn't know how to rest. And so my dad said this to me, like I'd, I'd work six days a week, sometimes seven, take one day off a month. And they'd be like, what are you doing a day off? I'd like, go in gym. Like, I could not do nothing. So yeah. in a way, your higher self was crying out for like some R&R. But for you, the, the excuse to do it was to get hung over and go, right, pajama day. Yep. You know, my friend said yesterday, I felt so awful on Saturday. All I did was lay in bed all day and I was just chilling and resting. And then I, you know, in the evening I couldn't sleep. And I said, no, because you need, this is it. We feel guilty for not doing. But actually exactly. part of this journey is taking self-care. And you was getting really drunk to know that I'm going to have a hangover tomorrow. So I'm going to be doing fuck all. Whereas yep. actually we should give ourselves permission to do fuck all at least once a week and not have any guilt over it. Exactly. And actually, as you're when you're a mum as well and you get you know older, you feel so guilty all the time about it. And, you know, I've sat on this. Sometimes I'll, you know, I've, actually, there's a really good um, film that I've just downloaded, A Million Little Pieces, which you probably, have you read the book? I read the book. Yeah, I thought you would have done. Um, and I'm going to watch that later. Um, just because sometimes I need reaffirming. One of my other favourite films, actually, is When a Man Loves a Woman. Have you seen that? I don't think I've seen that. It's a really old one. It's Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia. It's really powerful and it's really, really sad. Um, but it's how, and it, it makes you realise when you're when you're an alcoholic of what it does to everybody else around you. And this film really portrays that as well. It really portrays the life of her poor little girl, and and it, you can really see it. So, obviously, you've got your role as a mum. Yep. Wife. Um, I'm not sure if you're working and stuff. And all no. These, so all these roles that we've sort of had, how can, because it's like, you know, I did a self-care, I did a spring equinox workshop yesterday and I had quite a few mums there. Some people that were mums, some people that weren't mums. And it's like, how can we step into ourselves and allow ourselves time just to be us, not being a mum, not being an employee, not, not being a student, not, just being authentically who we are and sort of, not feel guilty and appreciate the time that we have for us. I know that's what, well, I, well, I try to, I go, I walk a lot. So I'll go for some, a nice long walk, especially where I live. I live out in the country. So um, it's really, you know, I've got and my friend I mentioned earlier, she's got a little dog. So we will go out and do what, and I always feel so much better once I've done a walk and then I'll have a little bit of motivation. My thing for me is, is I need 
a massive dopamine hit first thing in the morning, whether it be coffee or whether it be a walk or a run or go like I've done today, go to the gym. I'm happy now sitting here, but, but I can think, oh, I do need to be doing other things. But I, you have you have to try and say, right, OK, now I'm going to give myself today. I've been busy all weekend. I'm going to give myself today a couple of hours just to mm-hmm. just to do my thing. And maybe I'll go downstairs. I've got a basement, so maybe I'll go down and do my yoga down there. Or maybe I'll like the sun shining. Maybe I'll go out and sit in the garden for a bit. Um, but it's oh. I have to do it in small bits because otherwise then I'll start to feel all overwhelmed going, oh, but I'm not doing anything. I've done nothing all day. Isn't it crazy? Like, it's, the same, it's the same with me. Like, I'm like, oh, you're not doing nothing. Or yeah. then, I, then I get overwhelmed because I've got too much stuff to do. So I won't do anything at all. Be like that. I can't do anything now. Well, today, <laughs> like, to the guys in yoga, I said, right, my intention this week, last week's intention all week was to be more calm. <laughs> this week <laughs> my intention <laughs> is to be more focused but one thing that I would I don't know if you've tried breath work because no you gave me you sent me some information on that didn't you yeah. I haven't tried it yet you know that, that for me was the thing that has catapulted this like I'm on day 15 of silent meditation now as well like never in my fucking really? life could I sit still for one minute no. this and it's only been since finding breathwork in September 2020. So I thought I was going to have another breakdown in September. Honestly to God, for really? this doesn't make sense. I'm not, I'm not on drugs now. I don't drink. The lockdown had happened. I'd created an online business. And I was still so confused about life. And I was going through a heartbreak. And it's like, I literally just, I had chronic anxiety. I was smoking weed. I was taking diazepam. I was taking propanolol at this point. Because I'd now found new addictions. Because even I think about it, I was like, yeah, the gym stopped in the pandemic, which gave me space away from work addiction. But then like the the other drugs started to come back through again, like the old coping mechanisms. And before I knew it, I was at break point. And it was only from my friend saying to me, you need, because he'd met me in the first lockdown. I was proper chill because I was like, oh, this is great. I found a system and I was really happy. But I was still training really, really hard at home and I was going running because the sun was out. And I was like, oh my God, this is what life's about, having your own business. And so I was still like this sort of hyper thing. Yeah. And then when the lockdown was coming to the end in the first, like the first bit, and I had to go back to potentially working like I used to work and be around the environment, which actually I realized wasn't right for me, but I was codependent on it. That's when I was freaking out and I was all, I was having panic attacks again. I was smoking more weed. I was taking diazepam at this point. And I was just like, and he's like, you have to try this breathing stuff. And I was like, no, I don't have time. <laughs> Fuck off. And he, he was on at me, on at me, on at me. And then one night I was like, Fuck it, smoked a zoo, popped a pill, did nine minutes of breath work. And I was like, I, it was like having a body high. And I hadn't had a body high like that for years. And I was like, okay. what is this? Three months later, I'd done it every single night without fail. And if I woke up in the night, normally I'd smoke a joint to go back to sleep. But I was like, yeah, yeah I could do this breathing. So I'd do the breath work and fall back asleep. And before I knew it, I'd had space because I'd started having an ability to slow down. I started listening to guided meditations. Then from that, I was like, I think I need to quit my job. And it was like, it gave me space to take me out of this constant stress mode. And I still do breath work every day. Like I I cannot recommend it enough. And that's what's now led me to silent meditations and 
going for walks in nature with no music and stuff like because before it's like oh I need to be on the phone to someone when I'm outside yeah I need to be jogging or I need to listen to music and now I'm like you just go and just have space sometimes you just have to be don't you and it's very difficult to it's probably the hardest thing isn't it it's just to be and I think that I mean I I I love music and you have always loved music and at the moment I'm training because I'm going to going to see the prodigy and I know that I'm not going to be able to dance long enough if I don't <laughs> but that's something I'll do completely sober and not worry about at all and actually that is so far away from where I was five years ago because I've been really I'd have been really panicking thinking oh you know it's going to be really expensive drinking there and you know and I'd be worrying yeah. about it um but it's something I can just do without so many like I work for Morning Gloryville for example and they're a sober community and there's so many things popping up now because it's almost like it's so foreign to think people go well you don't drink like yeah. it's, it's, but luckily for me because I've always been quite hyper and quite quite active I could go out and not drink like before, yeah before this but I couldn't go out and not worry about food and binging and stuff so I've been like, for me yeah. it'd be like well, there's going to be food there. You're going to have to eat. Like you're going to eat loads. You're going to let yourself down. So that was always my sort of thing. Alcohol, yeah. alcohol just became a, a fun thing to do. And then when I found drugs, I was like, this is even better. Like because <laughs> alcohol for me was always in my mind, like it's loads of calories. So once I found things like MD uh, and pills, I was like, oh, even better. Like you don't want to just drink water on that. And I'd, I'd be six, I'd be six pounds lighter the next day going to a rave because you dance. Whereas now. We go to these things and you just go and you're just in this amazing energy of people that are all just there for the music and the people and the vibe. Yep. And, it's, and it's letting other people know that this is out there. Yeah, exactly. And I think that I think the, you, the, the generation that's coming up now is, you know, you, they don't spend every weekend getting drunk. When in the um, 80s and 90s, you know, that's Not what we did. That's what we, we all... Um, I got on the tube the other week and every poster was advertising alcohol. Yeah, Every, and I was thinking, it's on the tube everywhere. It's just so normalised and go like, because people are like, oh, well, I've got one client I'm working with. And he's like, well, what else is there to do if I'm not doing coke and drinking? Do you know what? It's funny because on my, I've written a list of like little bullet points. And on there it says, normalisation of alcohol. And you've just said that exact word. And it is... It's um the it's the unhelpful wine time signs, um it's the memes you know I I'm an, a normal person till I drink wine and then I, you know it's all of that and it, oh it must be um fuck this shit o'clock it must be gin o'clock and and then gin became a massive thing oh. and and it's become it was so acceptable and then and people are laughing at which I laughed about. Uh, there was a meme where a woman was running and she goes, what are you doing? It's seven o'clock in the morning. And as she goes like that, she's got a glass of red wine. Now that's, you know, hilarious, but some people are actually doing that. And actually some people really are really struggling with that. Um, and I find the normalization of alcohol really, really hard to deal with. And, you know, you've, especially this time of year when you've got people saying, oh, here it comes, you know, can't wait to crack open a beer and sit in a beer garden. And it's, it, it's hard. And I think that if out, they say if alcohol was invented today, it would be illegal because yeah, it's such a poison. This is that I say, like I was feeling, I was like, back in the day, we probably, we would have used it for tinctures and healing and stuff like that. Yes. What we use it for now is confidence. Yeah, exactly. It, it brings out that inner warrior. But actually, we just haven't been taught. And because we've got so many wounds that we're walking around with, 
you put like this layer over it and then you can be this invincible lion. But what I found like by doing things like breath work, it's uncomfortable, it's painful and you have these breakthroughs and you're like, fucking if I can do that, that's when I started doing the cold showers. And I was like, and you start empowering yourself that way. You think, I don't need a drink to be that person. But for me, when the first lockdown was ending and I was not in a relationship, I was like, I don't want to go back to the pubs. But I felt like, well, how do you meet someone? Exactly. And I don't align with like online things as well. It's just it's just not yeah. me. And, and I was just like, well, if I'm not going out and I'm now working from home, like how do I meet other humans? And ironically, through all these sober communities, I've just met and met and met so many amazing people. But it is that fear of like, well, if you're not going out drinking and going down the pub. But my friend hit the nail on the head. She went, well, think about like, you know, Coronation Street, EastEnders, all this, everything's filmed in a pub. Yes. Back then, it's like, it's so normal to see people sitting in the pubs, drinking, and that's where they socialise. Nothing is, you know, if you're not doing the pub in the evening, what else is there to do? And I think... Freaking hell, like we have literally been led into that with blinkers on that is totally normal. And you can't wait till you turn 18 or I was 14. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the it was easy to do back then. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I've worked in all the pubs in Thaxted where I live. Um, I love being a barmaid. I find it absolutely hilarious. My funny, I just, it's like being a little showman, isn't it? It's just so much fun. And you watch people as they get more and more drunk as they're coming up. And actually, it, I loved it and I absolutely loved it. But for me, it was dangerous because it normalised drinking for me again. So everybody, you know, they'd come in and they'd have their meal and it would be a Saturday lunchtime and they'd have two bottles of wine with it and then they'd go, I'm going going to have another bottle when we get in. But they probably do that once a month. Mm. Whereas I had such massive respect for them. Look at them in their 50s, still drinking and having a big old laugh and stuff. And actually... They've probably done that once a month and now they're not doing it again for ages. But then you've got the regulars that come in and I'd look and I'd think, well, they're all right. And they're drinking all the time. And it really normalised it for me. I think I I worked in a bar for six years and it was probably some of the best years of my life because Mm. after my breakdown, I went back to work in that bar and everyone knew what had happened. But everyone, (coughs) everyone was fucked up behind the bar. So we all we became this team of... And it was like the first team of women I've really, because we had one male manager, one male like um, duty manager, and the rest were other females. We was all fucked up. Like we was all still going for eating disorders. I was on like laxatives, two other girls. I was like, oh, you take laxatives too. So it became like this thing. I was like, oh, it's not just me. Like I can't be sick. Yeah, I don't like being sick. So, you know, and, I was like, and it became like, we normalized stuff there and it became like a little network. But at the same time, they were amazing. They really, really got me stepped into being Amy but like same with you it became that point where people would be steaming drunk and I'd start I'd finish my shift couldn't wait get straight over the other side start drinking yeah again luckily for me it wasn't but once I found like things like MDMA and pills I was like oh you don't need to drink this is great and you can you can um you can lose weight on this stuff so for me I was always looking for the thing to make me me slimmer but it is it was some of the best years of my life working the bar, but at the same time, I'm glad that that chapter is 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 done now. Close. Yeah, I, I I never really with cocaine and things like that. You know, I tried it. I didn't. It didn't really enhance for me. It didn't enhance my personality. It made me more of a dick, and I just I really didn't like it. Um, I'm more of a dick. <laughs> and then I I took a lot of speed because that was cheap. 
Yes, and then, you know, I'd go to a lot of raves and then I wouldn't I wouldn't eat for like days afterwards. So, I mean, I was stick thin. I was so thin. But and I, actually, alcohol wasn't that much of a problem during my raving sort of time. But then when you stop doing that and I kind of always thought that because I grew out of doing cocaine and, and, and speed and, and I did acid. I loved acid. I, acid was brilliant for me. I loved it. Um I could never do it now. It scared the life out of me. But once you sort of like, you grow out of it. And I kind of think I thought that that was going to happen with alcohol. Right. And it, I was like, well, when's this going to stop then? Yeah, but it's so normal. Like a lot of my friends when I was growing up, they'd be like, oh, I was having a glass of wine after work. Like it's just normal, normal. And I was like, oh, do you not think that's a bit... And again, for me, I was like, it's always the calories. So I was always thinking, oh, that, a bottle of wine's about a pound of fat. So for me, that's what, you know, it kept me away. Yeah, from of course. Thing. And I'd always be like vodka and orange squash that would be like my drink and, and things like that like right what's the lowest calorie thing that's going to get me drunk yeah. but again it, it wasn't um something that was a habit for me and I could drop in and drop out of it and I you know yeah. it got to the point my best friend would like love Christmas and New Year because that's when they knew I'd be steaming and then I wouldn't drink again all year so it never kind of yeah. got to that point but I'm really grateful for the experience with it and I've had some fantastic nights and the same as you like there's been, there's been so many memories and I wouldn't change a lot you know there's been times where I think oh fucking hell like but you know what it's done Thank yeah, exactly. nobody, nobody got hurt and, and it's just like an opportunity now to sort of share these stories so that we can maybe catch ourselves we think actually am I drinking too much or am I taking too much drugs and how is it affecting me and how is it affecting my family and that's one thing like because I moved out young I wasn't necessarily had to worry about anyone else so you know it starts to take a toll potentially if there are other people involved and things like that yeah absolutely I I mean I moved out I was I was living in London at age 18 so you know and then I you know you just have complete control of it yourself then don't you I mean my the most I play over memories of how bad it was in my in my head all the time but I also do play the memories of the funniest things that I've done but I was really on my wedding day I regret that so much and I you know when I had my counselling I had to really go through that you know quite deeply every week I'd be like I was so drunk at my wedding though I was so drunk at my wedding um but everybody that I've spoken to nobody really seems to remember that but for me I felt like I was really bad um and it's it's a shame because sometimes I look at the photos and I just think you know, I wish I'd done that without drinking. You know what, though, babe, like, you know, I was married and I look back and I've got such wonderful photos and I think, oh, damn it, they were such wonderful photos. We're not even together anymore. I can't even... <laughs> <laughs> the pink dress on, I had a unicorn there. And I thought, oh, well, you know what? I remember you that. I saw yeah. the pictures. And I thought, oh, bloody hell, like, I can't even, I can't even sort of look back at those and I think you're not even married anymore. So, like, be great, I guess, in a way, like, it's, you know what, fuck it, you had, you probably had a great time and it was in there that you was, you was dancing around and doing your thing. But, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, you could always just throw a party or do something again. Yeah. Because it's one day and it, yes. is, it is one day and you, we've got our whole lives ahead of us to sort of live it. But one thing I was going to ask you as well, like, when you was coming through, like you, you decided you wanted to stop drinking, mm. like, what kept you going? Like what sort of kept you thinking, I want, like, because a lot of people sort of rebound, go backwards and forwards. Mm. Like, what, what kept you going? I just knew that the minute I lifted another drink to my mouth, it would take me another couple of years to be able to stop drinking again, because I knew that my willpower was such that if I did drink, 
that would be it. I'd be like, oh, well, I've ruined the whole thing now. Um, but every night I went to bed, and my sister told me this, actually, every single time I went to bed and I put my head on the pillow, I said, oh, a sober head on my pillow every single night. Um, and it it really helped. And, and I took photographs as well. Um, I mean, I've got comparison photographs. I mean, the comparison is absolutely ridiculous. I had no idea I was so bloated. Um, but and I also found some photographs recently, actually, um, of where I'm right towards the end of my drinking days. And I look dreadful, like really bad. And I think that that's what kept me going is that I felt so awful. So every day I still felt rubbish about myself, but I wasn't hung over. So I didn't have that anxiety with it either because I just you know, I hadn't done anything. I wasn't, you know, to make myself even worse, like sabotaging myself. Um, but I did find yoga and actually yoga changed my life. It really did completely. The, we've got this beautiful yoga studio at the bottom of this, of the road that I live in and it overlooks all the fields and um, the woman that owned it, and I'm still friends with her now. She was just so amazing. And I think the first, it was one class. I think I'd been doing it for about eight weeks and there was one class when you'd stop giving like stop drinking when I'd stop drinking I did it so it was every it was every I had every Tuesday off so I'd do yoga in the morning then I'd have my counseling and we did one yoga session it was a lot of I think it was a lot of hip openers and I sobbed and I literally could I couldn't believe it and I was embarrassed because tears were dripping down on the on the floor um but I'd never felt better after that class. It was almost like I'd got rid of so much energy that day, so much negative energy. What made something. you try, decide to try yoga? I tried everything else. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like I needed something to, I've all, because I've always been quite high energy, which I think is why we always got on at the thing, wasn't it? Um, I always wanted to sweat. I always want to sweat at the gym and I always want to get soaked and I want to do this and I want to, I need to be shouted at and stuff like that. And I thought, well, actually that hasn't worked, has it? So let's do something that's yoga. And the first yoga class I did thinking it was all going to be stretchy and stuff. It's hard. I was knackered. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. I've got, I'm exercising, but it's slower. And it, and I just, something just kind of clicked and I just loved it. And I've loved it ever since. That's amazing. Yeah. Same. Like I think, Yoga changed my life. And now yeah, I've had the slower stuff. I was really resistant to the slow yoga. And now I'm like, oh my God, like it, it's been amazing for me. Yeah, that was, yeah, I've done, there's a couple of classes. She does one on a, on a Thursday night. And I literally sometimes feel like I want to be like carried home. Because it's just, you know, you could get to that. It's so nice. I love, I love the slow yoga. It really the, the key really for people like us is to slow down. It is to slow down, whether it be, in the way that I speak, because I know that I speak fast because I want everything out. Um, and the way that I move around and yoga really helps you with that because it makes you stop and think. And mm. I think that's what helped, has helped me the most. I mean, that is, I credit yoga to one of them. I don't think, I wouldn't have been where I am now if it hadn't been for yoga, I don't think. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think I feel the same way and I was so resistant mm. to doing it. Same. Ironically, and that's the same thing when breathwork, I was so resistant to doing it and it, it changed my life and then meditations come along and I was like, you know, I taught yoga for years and I didn't do breathwork or meditate and now I'm like, oh my goodness, it's been, you've been trying to get there, your higher self has been trying to get you there this whole time and yes. it, it took a pandemic to get me there fully, but I think 
it's, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it sounds like well, because I remember seeing you doing your doing yoga, and I was like, now that is something I wouldn't have thought Amy would do because of the yeah, because of the way that you are, you know, and the way that because we, I mean, we were quite high energy at that thing. Oh, we, oh, it was, we were the loudest in the class. That's for sure. I think back and I think, oh my god, like everyone was so serious and quiet, and you know, to do, and we were just so fucking awful. But we you know, so loud. <laughs> you know you've got spirit like you've got personality that's what will get you through this and I was thinking I was thinking I've spent all this money I thought fuck I can't do it and but you know what it it took I still didn't do it until I had the breakdown and my godma was like right you're gonna start start using that stuff and figuring it out but same as you like said earlier like I maybe I have got a bit of ADHD or or something like that because we are so high energy but it's just what it is is we're so high energy it's like what can ground us Yes, exactly. And, but what can ground us that we want to ground us? Because actually I quite like that high energy thing. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's quite, it, you know, it can be quite addictive Emma, almost, can't it? So you need to bring it down because otherwise, before you know it, you're like this the whole time. Yeah, and I feel like because I wasn't eating properly and I was erratic with my eating and my, I was binging and stuff, my blood sugars were doing exactly what my energy levels, I was like... Oh, that's what I do, yeah. And actually still, if I'm not having a great time, I will use food or my medication as a control. Mm-hmm. So I maybe will miss a day's medication. I know I'm doing it, but sometimes I need to feel that and I do it and I'm annoyed with myself that I've done it. And I do it with food as well. I uh, listen I'm still I still have the battle to an extent and I'm working through things and in the lockdown I start I'd got into I got introduced to tapping which helps me and what tapping my friend does that she swears by it what it does is when you go to like I'll go to I think I want chocolate I can because of the tapping now there were certain sequences and she'd say certain things and she'd be like no why do I want this craving is it because I didn't express an emotion when I was a little girl and I would stuff food down my throat? So she's it's very clever. So I'd go and I think, oh, what's triggered? Oh, yeah, actually, I, you know, the, like right now the house is a shithole, for example, and I can feel uncomfortable in my environment. And rather than thinking I need to clean it, I don't want to deal with it. So I want to go to the fridge and eat. So yes. it's getting that. And what tapping does is it starts to, you start to think about things differently. So you bring awareness to why do I want to still eat crap why do I want to punish myself why do I want to restrict my calories maybe maybe why do I want to miss my medication I want to I want to feel it and instead now when something comes up I'll just sit on the floor and I'm like oh I'm going to be sad and I'll just let it come out and I'm like come out and I'm like I'm not even going to question why I'm just going to get carry on so it's when when you do get more comfortable with it and it's all part of the process and it's really really cool to sort of work through and like I said don't get me wrong I'm still I still want to have those binges and, and be naughty and stuff like that because it's almost like giving up that little person that's still in there that says, hello. Absolutely, yeah, hello. absolutely. I've been someone. So it's like, actually, it's catching her now and going, well, is this really going to make me feel better? Maybe temporarily. Am I going to beat myself up for it later? But if I'm going to do it, I'm going to fucking enjoy it. So it's sort of, it's having that balance now with it. Absolutely. I, I, this year, it's, it probably, I did it last year as well, the year before actually. I've got three, I'm going to see three bands this year. We're going to see Groove Armada, it's their final tour, which I'm, I can't wait for. And I'm going to Clockstock, which I go to every year, it's in Chelmsford. And then I'm going to see The Prodigy, obviously. Um, but I'm doing all of that sober and I've got no worries about it this year. But this is probably the first year 
that I haven't worried about it. Last year at Clockstock, I was a bit, mm, I found it difficult at times. The first year at Clockstock, I found it very hard. Um, but this is the first year where it hasn't been a, t- a problem. If I was more confident at driving at night, because I can't see, because I'm blind, um, I would have, I would drive to all these gigs because they're all, but most of yeah both of them are at Brixton and I would drive there but I'm not confident enough which has annoyed me. Well, listen, I I used to get really nervous driving at night as well, and I actually did some work recently with my friends. who said you've got a bit of PTSD for your night driving, and what it yeah. actually came out because I thought it was the driving at night because I'd had an experience, but actually when we delved into it and went into the driving, it was um it was because I'd when I split up with my husband at the time and he couldn't come with me to something, I felt abandoned and being on my own and doing it. Cause actually I'm, I'm a really confident driver, but since this, the thing had happened like a few years ago, I got caught in a storm. I was like, Oh, it's because of the storm and that's what scared me. But when we actually went into it, it wasn't the emotion there. It was the emotion coming from that, like that abandonment from a piece of me there that was causing that. So it is, it is, uh, it is stuff we can work through and it is. Because I got stuck, I got stuck on the M11 when there was that really bad snow a few years, like quite a few years ago. I was stuck overnight and my boyfriend at the time didn't come and get me. So they'll be, that'll be it, won't it? Yeah, you feel abandoned and you can't do it. You know, you feel like, yeah. oh, no one's here to save me. Mm. Actually, when we realise that we are here to save ourselves and we are all that we need and more, that's when that healing starts to come. You're like, fuck it. I'm going to get, and when I get nervous, when I drive now, I just do something really simple. I breathe in for six and out for six. And I keep doing that. Right. I'm back into it, but maybe start small. Like yeah. Doing Otherwise I'll be like, oh. <laughs> oh my God. And, it's, and it's knowing like if something happens, we can always pull over and we are always, yeah. but yeah, I was the same thing. I felt like it was like this abandonment. And it was really fascinating. So I thought I was, because I was, this happened, but when we went into it, it just unraveled so many things. Crazy. But Thank you so much for your time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stop the recording and then I have a little chat yep. afterwards. All but right, brilliant. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you got our waffles. <laughs> <laughs>